Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Now, it is no great secret that I'm a bit of a science tragic. Science is beautiful, yes? Yes? Yeah, thank you. Now, before I get too many people disputing the fact, let me explain myself. When you look at our world, it is vast. It is phenomenally detailed and incredibly complex. And the more we can get a taste of understanding how our world works, the more it points to an intelligent creator who is more knowledgeable and more profound than we could ever understand. Now, I've just had a trip to the Warren Bungles, and there is a fabulous astronomy centre out there, well worth a trip, particularly if you have children. If you would go to the Warren Bungles at night time and look up at the night sky, your eyes would be able to count about 6,000 stars. But thanks to the Hubble telescope, we are now able to discover more and more about the true vastness of our universe. Isaiah 40 again, 20 to 20, 25 and 26, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So we can count about 6,000 stars, but scientists estimate that there are 2 billion trillion stars in our universe. Yes, that's 23 zeros. Now, that's a pretty big number, so let's try and get our heads around that for a moment. Consider if each star was equivalent to one second in time. So a million seconds is about 12 days. So one million stars would be one star for every second for 12 days. A billion seconds is just shy of 32 years. So one billion stars would be one star for every second for my entire life, almost. (laughs) A trillion seconds is more than all of recorded history coming in at just under 32,000 years. So that would be one star for every second for 32,000 years. And we're not talking about just one trillion stars. We are talking about 200 billion trillion stars in our known universe, and I don't have an equation for how many seconds that would be. Every single one of them is named and known by the Creator. Psalm 147, verse 4, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Now, being the science nerd that I am, I recently attended a fascinating lecture by one of Australia's leading astrophysicists. He was giving a lecture about the parallels of the science between astrophysics and ophthalmology. Fascinating, I know. Um, (laughs) It is. But one of the fascinating and most interesting things that he brought up was what his department's current area of cutting-edge research was. And what he described was that all the visible matter in the universe, so, you know, all the 200 billion trillion stars plus all the planets, makes up only 0.5% of the matter in the universe. The remaining 99.5% of the universe is made up of invisible mass and invisible energy. They call it dark matter and dark energy. Dark not because it's spooky and bad, but because it's invisible. While we can't see this dark matter, we know it exists because we can see what it does. We can see its effects. We can see how it has gravitational pull and how it can bend light. In fact, it is this dark matter that gives the universe its gravitational pull that makes the universe hold its alignment. 
I was sitting listening to this guy and it was all I could do to not scream out from the audience like, hey, hey, over here, like, don't you get it? Science is pointing towards an intelligent creator. I had to write down this one quote verbatim from this guy as one of the world's leading astrophysicists described how there is, ready, wait for it, there is an invisible and immeasurable force, more immense than all the visible matter combined, and it holds the universe in alignment. Wow. <laughs> like Science is screaming the existence of God. Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You know, in our 21st century mindset, our culture teaches us to come at faith from a point of self, that we should come to God with a focus on you know, our needs, our wants, our feelings, our ambitions, that how I feel, where I'm at, what God's doing for me. And always at its core is me, me, me. But a self-centred gospel is not God's gospel because the gospel is not about us. It's about God. The God who holds the universe in alignment the God who breathed all existence into being with a word, the God who always was, always is, and always will be, and how that God takes chaos and restores calm. He takes that which is broken and brings healing. And it is achieved not through sacrifice on our part, but it was achieved through him taking the sacrifice on his own shoulders, paying the price himself. And that restoration is not achieved through any human endeavour, that restoration was achieved in Jesus Christ on the cross as he shouted, it is finished. And that is the picture that Ephesians 1 paints. So with this marvellous revelation, let's read the missing piece of Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 17 says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You can pause on those words, so that you may know him better. So we see that this almighty, incomparable, immense God, the God who formed the stars with a word from his mouth, the God who holds the universe in alignment, this God wants to be known and can be known. As immeasurably vast as God is and as infinitesimally small as I am, where I am but a grain of sand on the ocean floor and God holds the universe in alignment, who am I that I should matter in this vast universe? Yet... That very same God who holds the universe wants us to know him. And as we come to him, as we kneel before him, he opens the eyes of our heart to understand him, to understand his nature and to understand his character. And we learn that he is gentle, that he is tender, and that his heart is to gather his children and protect them like a mother hen holding her chicks under her wings. Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads. The gospel at its core is not about us. It's about God. But despite that, he made it about us when Jesus went to the cross. When this God who puts the stars in their place, when he came to earth, when he came down as one of us, when he met us where we were at, he made it about us when he wept with us in our pain. When he called us mother, brother, friend, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? What are human beings that you care for them? And yet he is mindful of us. He does care for us. 
Paul prays that God will open the Ephesians' spiritual eyes to grasp the fullness of the blessing that is available through the Holy Spirit. Now, he is writing to a church that has been established for well over a decade, to a church that has already experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yet he prays that their spiritual eyes will be open to grasp the fullness of the blessing that is available to them. The vastness, the goodness, the the glory of God is so great that we will never fully comprehend it this side of eternity. So if you find yourself saying, yeah, I've been a Christian for a while, I've pretty much read the whole Bible and I know kind of everything there is to know about God at this point, you need a big reality check. Because each of us will spend our entire lives discovering the heart and nature of God and there is always more to discover. You can have been a Christian your entire life. You can have been working and living in ministry for the last decade and like the Ephesians, still not grasp the fullness of the blessing that is available through the Holy Spirit. And the more the Holy Spirit works in our lives, the more we receive the fullness of the blessing of hope, of inheritance and of power. The final verses in Ephesians 1 are 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Hope inheritance power. Our ability to know God is not about us but about God. Revelation of God is only available and attainable by the gift of God through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and with that outpouring comes the fullness of the blessing of hope, of inheritance and of power. Hope, the confident expectation of what God has promised. We don't produce the hope or manufacture the hope Now we receive the hope. Isaiah 40 again, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Inheritance. The blessing that is received as an entitlement or birthright given to every member of God's family. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And what is the inheritance? That's the kingdom of God that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven and of which the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Hope, inheritance and lastly, power. The power available to us is the gift of the Holy Spirit and nothing to do with our own making, not some gift in recognition of our own holiness or spiritual achievement. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Wonder of wonders, this glory, this majesty, this incredible power, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And it has nothing to do with my skill, my ability or my knowledge. If only we could fully comprehend the very great resource that is available to us, if we truly understood that, It would be our first resource, not our last. And this is the spectacular and transformative message of Ephesians. We're going to have a pause now before we hear from Dan. Howdy all. How are we? That's the way. We're going to get started on the the next part, which is um, going forward, I think. First one's going deeper, second one's going forward. That makes sense, doesn't it? All right, so my name's Daniel, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, and um, 
I love what Phoebe just brought. And what I spoke about last time was the power of hope and the process of hope. And so I want to finish, um, I want to finish up thinking about that today. Obviously, in the scriptures we just read, they talked about hope. And they talked about um, what it does when we have hope. And what it does when we don't have hope is something that I want to have a look at today. I want to make sure that, that we can generate our hope as part of our character and not have to wait for hope as a feeling or an emotion. And the, and the Bible, if, you, um, if you've read it for any length of time, it's, there's a lot of purpose in the Bible, but one of its main purposes is to give you hope. It's so that you understand what God desires for you, generally in a moment where you don't know what he wants or you don't feel what he wants. You know, God says, perfect peace I give you, my peace I leave you, um, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. And so what Jesus would say is that I've given you peace, but how much of it and how often do we feel peace? How often do we experience peace? And when we need peace the most is when we have it the least. It's when things are coming against us. And so if we talk about hope, we talk about the anchor for our soul. We talk about the done work of Christ. We talk about us having made our mind up. Wait, Jesus says I've got peace. He says that he's given me peace. So do not let my heart be troubled. Do not. And there's a, there's a process in it. It's a, it's a tug of war, if you will. Okay, so let's have a quick look. So again, last time we did that I spoke, I spoke about the process of hope. Um, we're not wanting to wait for hope as an emotion or a feeling because it might not be there when we need it. Now, I've been actually doing this as a series with, um, we've got a, a new company, a thousand feet deep, and it's a staff and cultural development company. So we go into businesses and we help them with their staff and cultural development. And we do a staff development day and all that kind of stuff and I've been doing a series called The Process of Hope and I love it and it's so interesting to see how people um, receive this. Now of course it's a non-Christian setting and so I don't go into what we're just about to go into which is a depth that only us as Christians can have. And that is an acknowledgement of what God has done for us. Uh, salvation is, is, it's not a club, it's a decision. It's the recognition of the word of God, him putting out his word to us and us receiving and accepting his word and then deciding that we're going to live from that. And so it's super interesting to talk about hope in a, to non-Christians who are great people but don't have that depth because what are they actually putting their hope in? So I'm encouraging them to, to have hope and to follow a process of hope because otherwise life is just despair. But it's, 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 it's also a little bit hard not to be able to talk to them about the anchor for their soul. We can talk to them about how to get through life, but, but how do you be victorious in life? How do you overcome? And this brings up a really interesting question, and that is, do we understand the process of hope? Do we understand that God through Jesus Christ has fought for us and won for us and we fight from victory, not for victory. We, fight, we come from belonging, not to belong. 
that a lot of what God has done in His Word, if we talk about hope, is because He's telling us how it is and expecting us to believe it, you know? And so let's quickly go through what I would call the process of hope as Christians. Okay, hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had and that events will turn out for the best. Okay, that as a Christian is not blind hope. The feeling that what is wanted can be had or events will turn out for the best. Now, is God a genie? Does every, do we get everything that we want in life? No, we don't. And we're going to talk about um, how, that's, how that fits into this. But what I want to bring out from the beginning is that faith is not blind. Hope is not blind. Hope that, the God, the, the hope that Jesus talks about, that God talks about, is founded in something immovable, imperishable, the Bible says, and that is his word. Because his word is his nature. If you guys told me something about something and your life, I would believe you. You know why? Because you're good people and I think, yeah, I know that person. I know his character. He wouldn't lie to me. God needs us to have that same passion and that same trust for him. The reason that we can anchor ourselves in God and his word is because his nature is. And because he said, I have done. We, are, we don't believe in a God, we believe in the God. We believe in the God who has already. If you have a look at the scripture, when we talk about hope, what are you actually attaching your hope to? We're attaching our hope to the God who has. It is finished. Now, does that always line up with our, with our experience? No, but that's why hope is a process. It's not a straight line. It's a journey. Okay, let's get into this. Have a look at this. Hebrews 11.6 says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's, that's a person that has put their hope in a God who has. A God that exists and a God that rewards but look at this, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. We need hope because God understands that a good portion of hope is us hoping for something that we cannot see and we cannot prove. So what are we founding our hope in? His nature, His promise. Hope sounds good, but hope is extremely frustrating. Why? Because hope is always the time in the middle where we haven't yet seen what we're hoping for in our heart. And so when we talk about blind hope, that would be me going that I think that I could jump off this building and, and, and fly away. Well, that would be blind hope. You know why? Because God never said that that's what he would do for me. But I can tell you that every, and this is only me personally for my life, I can tell you that we don't belong in Tamworth, we have no reason to be here and the things we've done in Tamworth, I have no cause to have done. When we moved here, we moved on a promise and every major thing that's happened in our life um, has been off the back of a promise of God. Every shaky, scary moment where it's like, what the is going on? And I'm like, no, no, God said this, I'm sure of it. 
I can't be certain, but I'm going to keep walking it out. And then every step I take, it just gets surer and surer until. And have there been moments in my life where, where I have been wrong? Absolutely. Um, it's not a straight line. God is not a genie. Um, I love what Phoebe said. He's not just there for us to fulfil our every women desire, but he has promised to promise you. And he's promised that if you anchor your hopes in him, he will not, you will not be dismayed. But it is a process. Let's quickly look. The first part of the process, the way I see it, is face the facts. Listen to this in Romans 4. Against all hope. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Against all hope. Nobody was backing him. Nobody thought he could do it. He's, if he went to his doctor, the doctor said, you're mad, mate. You're 80 years old. You're not having kids. Your wife's 80 years old. Well, he was 100 when they had the, their child. I think his wife was 90 or something. Madness. Against all hope, he hoped. Against all hope, he hoped. Listen to what it says. This is so powerful. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. He became the father of many nations because he held on to hope, just as, had, as it had been said to him. So he didn't have blind hope, so shall be your offspring. And you talked about the stars. He said, you walk outside, you look up, and every star you can count will be one of your descendants. And he believed God against all hope because he didn't have faith in his body to be able to do this thing. He had faith in God to be able to do this thing. You're going to face things that are absolutely impossible. You better be careful what you've got your hopes in because if it's blind, but if it's in God, that's why Jesus says you can achieve above and beyond what you've ever hoped, dreamed or imagined. Actually, that's not Jesus who said that. That's um, Ephesians. Um, I think Ephesians says that. But Jesus, um, Jesus says that all things are possible for those who believe. This is what he's trying to say for those who are promised. Um, Paul Peter said, um, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And then stepped out of a boat and walked on water on the word of God. If he tried to do that the Thursday before, he was drowning. <laughs> you know, there's a link here. There's a process here. Okay, so without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. If you could take a snapshot of that scripture and put that on your wall, that would get you through. All the things that you have experienced, all the things that you will experience. Abraham just believed in an amazing, Abraham himself is known as the father of faith. He was nothing amazing. He was just as, you know, mistake-ridden as us. But he was convinced in a good God. Have a look at that. And have a look, have a read of Abraham's life and all the mistakes he made. But he's, his faith wasn't in his performance. His faith was in his God. And his God said he could. And so he did. 
But he had to battle unbelief. He had to face the facts of the situations that he was going through and they weren't good. I just want to encourage you, you face the facts. Face the brutal reality of where you're up to. That's fine. That's, God's fine with that. But if he gives you a promise, we've got to hold fast because that's really the key. It's not situational. That's why they call it faith. Hope is the time in the middle, that frustrating time in the middle. Don't give up. We've got to face the facts. Second one, move on and overcome. Um, there's a quote up there from Martin Luther King, but I want to push on from here. We, we know in Romans 8.28, it says this, and we know that all things, for all things, God works out for the good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Hebrews 11 says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. There are going to be things that we don't understand. The Bible says here that there's people that had faith still in the tank when they died. Now, when it says that they didn't receive what they'd been promised, it doesn't mean that they didn't receive any promise. It didn't, doesn't mean that they didn't live a victorious life. It meant that they believed in God that much that they, they couldn't possibly have jammed it all just into this world. I can tell you that's my experience. In God, that is my experience. God has been better to me than way better to, to us than I deserve. And he's brought us on a journey that I couldn't have even fathomed. And we're not there yet and that all of it wasn't good. But I can tell you, when you walk it out in God and you go through those seasons like it talks about with Abraham, your faith rises and you start hoping for things that you're never going to achieve here on earth. And this brings us to another point of hope. Hope isn't always about you. You're not achieving it just for you. You're achieving it for others. You're achieving it for your children. If your faith is the kind of faith that moves mountains like Jesus talks about, you're going to influence people. And, and I want you to just finish on, I want to finish on this picture. The currency of the kingdom of God is fruit. It's seed in the ground, the ground of your heart, that's there long enough and protected long enough so that God can do what he wants to out of it. Birthing out of you um, supernatural things that you can't do. And that takes hope and that takes faith. But your life, if you will, is an open field and you get to plant whatever you want. And this is why Jesus says you will reap what you sow. It's not a threat. It's just, hey, look, this is just the way it works. You sow into your life my word and, and hope and faith and walk it out. You will bear fruit. The word says, the word it says of itself that it's imperishable, that it's like seed. And that Jesus talks a lot about bearing fruit. You're an open field. And I just look at your lives and I, and I just close my eyes and I just see people for miles lining up to eat of the fruit of your life. That's what God wants from us. He, it's not for us. It is, I mean, it's great because our Father's our Father and he'll provide and he'll love, but it's not for us. The field of our life is for others. Nobody grows an orchard to keep all the oranges themselves. 
And this is what God intends. He intends to use you. He said that he created you before the beginning of time for good works. He created you for good works, you. But there are going to be massive amounts of time where you feel like a failure, where you feel like you're off course. Find God, find his word, hold on to hope, and I promise you he will not let you down. Jesus, no. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.